This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 91. Coming up, we discuss what macros are, how to count them, and why they're important to track when pursuing your health goals. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast, a podcast dedicated to navigating how we can improve our health and well-being through small healthy habits we can start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica, and every other week we sit down with a certified expert to discuss topics that cover nutrition, fitness, a whole lot more, and on this episode, we are talking about all things macronutrients. What are they? Yeah, it's one of my questions, too. We're going to explore this, what and how we should use them, and why as we try to work our way through lifestyle changes in what used to be called diets, remember back in the old days. With me today is registered dietitian from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apello. Hello, Shanti. Hello. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is episode 91. Yeah, How I is know. that possible? Do I look older? <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't see you, but you sound just as youthful. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Well, we're glad you're back with us and you've got so much experience here. I know you're passionate about nutrition and science and behavior and you've taught at a university so while we may view this as a conversation about macronutrients i know you're going to instruct us so <laughs> let's jump into it when we hear this word macros or macronutrients what are they and why are they important for us to maintain good health i think that's such an important question because really it's the very basics of nutrition macronutrients so think carbs fat and protein okay all right so they all provide calories in a way. So essentially, whenever you're tracking macros, these all have calories. So by tracking them, you're also tracking calories. So just keep that in mind as we move along. But carbohydrates, they have four calories per gram. This is important because protein also has four calories per gram, but fat actually has nine calories per gram. So there's a different kind of value of calories that they provide when you look at it down to the gram. Now, carbs... Whenever we eat them and we break them down, it's your body's major source of energy. So it's going to fuel our daily activities. And what we really want to see here is like between 45 to 65% of our total calories coming from carbs. They're used even when we break them down and the excess is stored in the liver and muscles. It's called glycogen. So there's that as well. Protein. They're the ones that we think is building blocks, you know, the growth and repair of our tissues, our muscles, everything like that. They also make the essential hormones in our body and enzymes that, you know, break down food and they support our immune function. And it's also a source of energy. And then finally, fat, it supplies those fatty acids that we need because we can't make all of the fatty acids that our body needs. So think omega-3. And then it also helps absorb these fat-soluble vitamins. So think vitamins A, D, E, and K. So all those are kind of <laughs> the breakdown of what macros are and why we need them for just simply everyday life. So it sounds like a lot of math, but I've got an app on my phone that actually tracks calories. You know, I input data or I scan a QR code or label. And so I'll see these macronutrients, but I'm still a little fuzzy on what I'm trying to balance and how, because 
You know why? It's because of all the inputs from the world. You know, go low-carb, that's good. Go high-carb, vegan, that's good. Go this way, that's good. So I know that you're going to talk to me about balance, and you've given us those average percentages, Mm -hmm. but it still seems like for some people, tweaking one way or another is helpful. Or am I wrong? Yeah. So there are these three different types of macronutrients, right? And we want to have them in different percentages. And really what we need is going to be dependent on things like just your age, your weight, your height, your physical activity level. And so where it really starts is calculating that daily energy expenditure. That means it's the calories that you burn in a day, and it also takes into account what you're burning at rest. So say like you were sleeping for an entire day, what would you burn? You didn't do a single thing, you didn't eat, you didn't move, right? So it takes into account all of those. So that's where we start. So the best equation out there is going to be the Mifflin-St. Jor formula. Oh, can find that this. one, yes. <laughs> that one. <laughs> it's a big... <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know that guy. Oh, yeah. But Mifflin St. George, the equation is going to be the best one. And the reason for that is it takes into account your activity level, your age, your height, your weight, and all those kind of things. So you can find them online. And there are a lot of apps that use this very equation to calculate. So if you're a man or a woman, you're going to have a different equation for this. And so you're going to start by calculating that. And then you move into your activity level. So the first kind of equation just is based on how much energy you're expending in general, and then we multiply it by this factor. So if you're sedentary, it's going to be lower than if you're very active. So that's where that kind of comes into play. The USDA also has a really great calculator that tells you kind of how many calories you need to eat. So those two resources I really recommend. All right, so you're with me. We're calculating what we burn in a total day, right? Right. Okay, so then we need to think about these macronutrient distribution ranges, okay? So I mentioned carbohydrates, 45 to 65% of your total calories. Then we have protein, which needs to be between 10 and 35% of our total calories. And then our fat needs to be between 20 to 35% of our total calories, So these ranges are really broad, right? Well, they are. But, you know, again, there are a lot of apps that kind of do this for you, right? So you don't have to get out the pencil and start ciphering if you don't want to. I mean, if you're kind of wonky and you want to get into the whole thing, you can. (laughs) But I suspect there are all kinds of things to help you along the way, right? Yes, definitely. And I definitely encourage taking those apps into consideration because it is a lot of math. But it can be really helpful just to know where these numbers are coming from. Like, how did this app figure out that I need this many calories from carbs? Mm. And in a lot of those apps, you can set goals for yourself. So, you know, I like to recommend that you kind of start with a micronutrient distribution for some of these, and then you can kind of shift based on what works for you, because the best distribution range is going to be one that you can actually follow, like any other diet. So there's this Dunder Mifflin thing. Oh, no, wait, that's the name (laughs) of the company on the office. I'm sorry. There's, what is the Mifflin what? What is it called again? The Mifflin St. Jor, but I like Dunder <laughs> Mifflin, the people's yeah. paper. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. All right, so we've got the Mifflin thing, and uh-huh. we're going to start there. So let me go back to old days, like last week. I've got a wife who literally, honest to goodness, could eat half a birthday cake, and then she says tomorrow, oh, I lost a pound. You know, it drives me nutty. And she would say in her lifestyle, 
She just counts calories. And if she goes over, she's over, and she knows she has to cut back. And if she's under, she's under. I guarantee you she doesn't pay attention to macronutrients. Is that just because of her makeup that that works out best for her? Or is it that the rest of us are just a little, we're all so different that sometimes we need this other system? Because for her, honest to goodness, it works. Well, when it really comes down to it, calories do matter. You know, we get weight loss when we burn more calories than we consume. But the difference with macronutrients is going to be that you're getting sufficient energy from your carbohydrates, for example. So it's set up to where you're not going to get tired, you're not going to get drowsy, and it's going to have enough protein uh, if you choose the right range for you to where you're not going to go hungry and overeat later. So there's kind of more of a guide to kind of making it easier in a way to eat yeah. rather than just calories. But, you know, it's really up to whatever works for whoever. But calories in the end do matter. And that's really where we start with these macronutrient ranges is with calories, you know. So, for example, if someone's TDEE, which is like that total number of calories that you burn in a day, is 2,000. 2,000 is an easy number, so I'm just going to start there. Yeah. So... If that person wants to lose weight, then we need to subtract calories from that to be in a calorie deficit to eventually lose weight. So, you know, that means subtracting maybe 500 calories or so and then going from there with your range. So, you know, it's not that calories don't matter at all. If we eat an excess number of calories, we will gain weight. So here's the thing that I think, and I will just speak for myself, right? I can involve other people, but I won't even defer. If I were to cut back 500 calories a day, I would still be looking at a banana and thinking, you know, that's going to have so many carbs and so much sugar. And I had one this morning with my yogurt, so it's not like I don't eat them. But if I were to go by the percentages that you're suggesting, in my brain anyway, and I'm not a low-carb guy, I still think, well, maybe I'm getting too many carbs. Maybe that's my thing. You're saying literally if I stick to these percentages of macros, that's cool. I really should be looking for balance under the umbrella of total calories. And I'll feel good. I won't feel lightheaded or fuzzy, right? That's the intent is to keep it balanced. That is the intent. And, you know, I think there are definitely ways that you can shift it around to, you know, feel more satiety, feel less crummy towards the end of the day. But yeah, the idea is here that if you're getting this percentage of carbohydrates from your diet or in your calories, then you are going to have enough energy not to feel crummy later. So like an example of this, what you were saying is, you know, if something, for example, has the exact same calories, let's say two Pop-Tarts. I just happen to know that those are 370 calories. Uh, <laughs> and, and then that's a serving of Pop-Tarts, okay? And then we compare it to something with the exact same number of calories. So four ounces of grilled chicken with a cup of brown rice and a serving of veggies. Obviously, that grilled chicken and with a rice and the serving of veggies mm -hmm. is going to be much more fulfilling because it does have that protein. So it's going to satisfy you, keep you fuller for longer. And it's also going to have carbohydrates to keep you going. And it just so happens that the carbohydrates in the brown rice are going to be more wholesome. They're going to have more fiber and keep you boosted for longer, something that macronutrients doesn't take into account. But we can go into more about the kind of the pitfalls in a moment. 
But really the macros here, when we're comparing the Pop-Tarts to the grilled chicken with rice, it makes that distinction of getting different types of macronutrients that do different things for our body and make us feel more satisfied. And if we come back to the individual again before we get to total pitfalls, I know people who have gone low carb, and honest to goodness, if they exceeded 20 grams of carbohydrate in their day, they're like, oh, you know, they're running for the doors like, I got, I've got to stop. There are some people who can do that and lower their carbs if that's what system works for them, and they don't seem to get fuzzy, and they don't seem to run out of energy. Is it just, I'm watching from afar and I don't really know what's happening, or... To your point, can people tinker with those ranges and find the happy place for them? And that's okay. Yeah. And carbs is such a complicated subject here because there are so many facets to this. So, you know, in anything that's extremely low carb, and let me just say like carbohydrates is the only macronutrient we could technically live without consuming. Okay. You would die if you didn't eat protein. You would die if you didn't eat fat. But If you didn't eat carbohydrates, you would survive because we have this process called gluconeogenesis where we can generate carbohydrates in our body from other sources. Ah. This is not the preferred way whatsoever, okay? Not preferred. Our body prefers carbohydrates to be fueled off of. It makes our brain think better and stuff like that. But what studies have looked at is that when people have this low-carbohydrate intake over time, they are able to adjust to that. So in the beginning, you know, they're in this brain fog and things like that. But what we've also seen, as we've talked about many times before, is that, you know, it's really difficult to stick to that low level of carbohydrate intake. Like you were saying 20 grams or something like that. That's extremely low. Like you can barely eat fruit on that. You couldn't eat fruit on that. I think you couldn't even eat an apple. Am I wrong? (laughs) Wouldn't an apple put you over for the day, sort of? Yeah, like it's very close. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that's not the ideal situation, right? But for people who tend to, you know, be more reactive to carbs, the lower range of that can be really helpful. So, for example, like if we're counting macros and someone has type 2 diabetes, for example, it might be helpful for them to be on the lower range of the carbohydrates, but then have a little higher fat instead. So they're still, you know, getting the sufficient calories that they need, but it's a little lower on the carbs because it helps them stabilize their blood sugar. So there's that. Another thing, as you mentioned, that the carbohydrate conversation is that one of the things that makes low carbohydrate diets so successful is that you lose a lot of water weight in the beginning. So I think there's just so much to it is that, you know, when you cut out carbohydrates, you are going to be consuming more calories from other sources. But when you decrease your caloric intake from carbs, which is like, you know, rice and your pasta and, you know, really starchy vegetables and things like that, you naturally decrease your calories overall, which results in weight loss as well. So like I said, there's just so many facets to that. So I think, you know, for this conversation, just focusing on the flexibility that people have with macronutrient counting, it's actually called flexible dieting in a lot of ways because it allows them to kind of fit in some of their favorite foods so that it's more easy to follow. And you might still be having that kind of lower end of that carbohydrate range. Yeah. So what do you see as some of the pitfalls? You mentioned this when you're tracking your macros. Yeah. So 
When it comes to tracking in general, whether it's just counting your calories, it can be pretty disruptive and it can even be triggering for people who have had eating disorders. So think anorexia, bulimia, just restricting their food intake in general, just having disordered eating. So tracking, it can like trigger, it can worsen disordered eating symptoms. So there's that because there are those really specific numbers that you want to hit. Say you like calculate that you have to have 160 grams of carbohydrates in a day. So you're at the end of the day, really obsessive compulsive about reaching that number, right? So that's not good for people who have a history of disordered eating. That doesn't mean it's not good for everyone or no one. It just means that, you know, we have to consider the individual in this too. A couple other things that you might want to think about is that, you know, with macro counting, it doesn't take into consideration the quality of the food as much as it does the macronutrients. So someone who is following a macro lifestyle might need to just pay attention that they're getting the five fruits and vegetables a day, that they're making sure that they are getting fiber in their carbohydrate intake, and that they're getting the vitamins and minerals, the phytochemicals, antioxidants, and all those really important nutrients in our health as well. And can't we be helped? Uh, let me look at mine right now. I'm going to pull up my app on my phone. <laughs> Do it. Because if I, I, I haven't input any food today, but if I were to, I would see fat and then saturated fat, carbohydrates and protein. This app will also tell me sugars, fiber, sodium, and cholesterol. So in a glance, I'm getting, what, maybe 10 line items and it does then assign the percentages for the day as I track my food. So what I like about this app is that when I'm tracking, I'm getting these three big ones you're talking about, fat, carbohydrates, and protein. But at a glance, I'm seeing my sodium content, and I'm also seeing fiber, right? So I'm seeing some of this other stuff that may matter for some people. And I like that idea because that's helpful to me. Yeah, definitely. And that's where choosing the right app for you comes in. So that means if you're searching for an app, you want to make sure that it not only has those additional qualities, like you were saying, it counts your fiber, it looks at sugar, it looks at some vitamins, but we also want to make sure that it has a big enough library of the types of food that when you're going out to eat, it'll have something similar to what you're looking for, right? So I think there's a lot of exploring you can do with these different apps to see what's right for you. So let's go back to the beginning of our conversation here. We want to do it. We now find value in tracking our macros. What is the way to, to kind of walk into the shallow end of the pool and not maybe jump right into the deep end with all of it? What are your suggestions of how do we literally get started so we can start to feel comfortable calculating the macros? Yeah. So the first thing, obviously, is going to be working either with an app or a calculation or you know even with a dietitian on figuring out... Mm -hmm the number of calories that you need and then figuring out those ranges. I do recommend having a range. You know, I <laughs> I dated a guy once back in college and I remember he was counting macros and at the end of the day, he would sit and he would have a scale in front of him and he would weigh out Cheerios Come on. <laughs> to make sure that he <laughs> met the exact gram of carbohydrates for wow. the day. So he would figure out these foods that had only carbohydrates or whatever. So we don't need to be that way, right? Like nothing against him, but we don't need to be that specific. 
and a range works just fine. So if you wanted to base it off of a percentage, say your carbohydrate intake is about 50% of your calories. Now you might say, let's just say that was 225 grams exactly. You might give yourself a range to do 200 to 250 grams per day of carbohydrates so that you're not locked into this exact number and just knowing that it's okay not to be precise in some of these things. I think that's how you make it in the long run if you're interested in the style of eating. So I'm assuming you don't count your Cheerios. Am I right? I do not count my Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, you know, I personally do not count macros. I think it's interesting to learn about and I think it is excellent for those people that it really works for. It's just up to what works for your lifestyle, right? Because it can be quite involved and some people are looking for that. Well, and I'll tell you another benefit for me, and I've mentioned this you know, in one of our podcasts. I don't think it was when you and I were together. While I tracked my wife at the beginning, who again could lose weight if she just breathes, looked at me one day. I was in a restaurant and I was inputting you know, food. So I'm guessing about, you know, here's, I just pulled up salmon and I put that in and broccoli and I put that in. And she said, why do you input all your food? So I explained it to her and she thought it was kind of wonky. Well, you know what happened is I wound up influencing her. I didn't even know it. And one day I noticed she's got her phone and she's tracking her food. And I laughed. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, you started it and I'm just doing it. And she said, you know what? I really like it. I can now see my sodium and how much fat I've got. And I thought, wow, I never thought I would be able to be an influencer. <laughs> but it actually felt pretty good. You know, I thought, well, okay, awesome, because I want my wife to live a long life like I do, you know, so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what you're mentioning here is that accountability and the awareness, right? And mm -hmm. that's what comes with tracking macros, tracking calories, and yeah. tracking your intake in general. It just makes you more aware of what you're putting into your body, good or bad, and lets you know what you can focus on. So when you look at various foods, obviously this is your profession, but for the rest of us mere mortals, is there an easy way to figure out what foods you should be eating that meet your macros? Is it really looking at that piece of chicken with rice, with broccoli, or is there some other trick that we get ourselves accustomed to? to kind of see the food and then know we're on the right track. Yeah, well, if you want to like be a food detective, it definitely takes some time, you know, kind of tracking your foods and noticing what kind of macros they had. But as a general rule of thumb, those that are going to be rich in carbs are going to be anything that's based with a grain. Okay, so think your pasta, rice, bread, anything made with flour is grain-based. And then your starchy vegetables like flour, potatoes, peas, and of course your sugary items as well. Those are going to be carbohydrates. Protein is going to come from meat, fish, and poultry. And in red meats, you're going to see a fat component there as well, but you're not going to see any carbs. You know, some poultry, especially some cuts of it are going to have some fat as well. And then, you know, you think of beans, it's going to have both carbs and protein. So there are a few, you know, rules of thumb that you can think about, but just be aware that it has other components to it as well. And then fat foods are going to be based in oils, nuts, fatty meats, things like that. And so whenever we're piecing together a meal, it's just making sure that we have a balance of all of these and tracking accordingly, really. But making sure that you have something from each group can make it easier. So, you know, putting together 
half of your plate of vegetables, but then making sure that there's some starchy vegetables in there for your carbs. Or if you're including your protein, maybe beans will provide carbs and protein there. And then making sure that your fats are in there. So your healthy fats, think olive oil as you're cooking your chicken or you're making a dressing for a salad. So I think there are a lot of easy ways to really incorporate them all, but it's just a different way of thinking. And the other thing that I've noticed for myself is that you've got to recalibrate your expectations. For instance, on the days where I may have, and you mentioned beans, so if I have black beans, hummus, you know, it's more veggie-based meal. I'm, I'm getting protein for sure, but I'm also seeing higher fiber, and I'm also seeing higher carbohydrates, which kind of throws my brain off because I'm thinking, oh, I was going for protein, but yet I'm seeing the carbs tick up because it really is chickpeas making the hummus and black beans or black beans. And so it's helped me recalibrate the healthfulness of eating something and still understanding I'm getting a little bit of everything at one time, you know, and, and then there's no meat. I guess that's my point. You know, my brain tells me as a guy, I should have a, there should be a piece of meat there. Well, no, the numbers all worked out fine. Yeah, well, our society has really been built that way. Like in especially the last 10 years, we've been kind of pushed to think, okay, carbs are bad. So I'm trying to eat less of that. I know I need to have protein and that can only come from the main component of the meal, which is like, chicken or meat or something like that. So it definitely breaks away from that type of thinking, you know, thinking that carbs are evil and things like that. So yeah, it definitely takes some recalibrating, as you said, of just being comfortable with getting carbs from different sources and maybe not getting the level of protein that you're used to in some meals. Yeah. So anything else you want to share with us about uh, hacks or tricks of the trade or ways to figure out what kind of foods we should be eating that satisfy us with our macros? Anything else? Well, when you're figuring out your ratios, I think it's a really good place to start is protein because there's kind of a recommended protein amount for your body weight. And so depending on your goals, your protein is going to be a little different. So protein is going to increase your fullness and your satiety, right? And so some researchers say that about 30% of calories seems to be good for weight loss for protein intake. So that's something good to consider. But for athletes, it can be really good to make a calculation based on your body weight. So the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and American College of Sports Medicine, they recommend somewhere between 1.2 to 2 grams of protein per kilogram of your body weight. So it's not per pound. So the first thing we just do with our body weight is, for example, if you weigh 200 pounds divided by 2.2, then you're going to multiply it by somewhere in this range. So if someone, for example, is an endurance athlete, they would multiply it by a factor between 1.2 to 1.4, and that's how much protein they need. For those that are strength and power athletes, they need between 1.2 to 1.7. So you see that people who strength train a little bit more are going to have a little bit higher protein needs. The generally healthy population, the minimum is 0.8 grams per kilogram of your body weight. So there's really a huge range there. And when you use kilogram, how does that equate to a pound again? You divide the number of pounds that you are divided by 2.2. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, it's a good place to start because we do have some protein recommendations that cater to our body weight. So it's just a good way to consider that first. And you know, you can play around with it too, if you're considering those macros. 
Well, I'm going to start playing around with I got my Cheerios, so one for you, two for me. One for you, two for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to share, but not. they are kind of honey-coated chick. One for you, two for me. There is there is some math here, but I just want to encourage everybody, if you step into the shallow end with an app and you start to see these numbers and you've tracked your food, that's the key. If you're inputting your food and you start to see these magic little categories, you know, illuminate with the numbers you're looking for, it really gets to be easier to see how the macros are affecting your day. And if you want to tweak them or you're saying, oh, my gosh, my carbs are off the charts because I ate six bananas today. Well, you can start to tweak that. So and I'm not an expert at this. Trust me. I mean, if somebody's going to do this all math by hand, I want them to do my taxes. So, <laughs> you know, uh, this is not my thing, but I really have enjoyed having an app. That's the point. I It's really helped me understand everything you're talking about. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The apps are going to simplify the process, but it's just nice to know what the math behind it is sometimes, right? Yeah. Even if you don't have to actually sit there and calculate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you enjoy your day. Wait, one more for you, two for me. One for you and two for me. Shanti Apello joining us today. She's a registered dietitian with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. So good to have you aboard again today, Shanti. Thank you. Thanks, Chuck. I'll see you later. Yeah, take good care. And thank you for listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast. It's brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. And if you want to know more about the show, uh, you can check us out always. We're 91 episodes now, right? So we've got a lot of great stuff in the rearview mirror for you. Go to ahealthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can leave us reviews or ratings on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And you can always get new episodes on your smartphone or tablet. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Take good care.